Chapter 20 of Hawaiian Sea Hunt Mystery by Andy Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. Chapter 20 Dawn Attack. Shouts of joy rippled across the water from Biff and Lee to their fathers. The boys hopped into the dinghy and sent it fairly flying over the waves to shore. The first thing to do was to get Dr. Weber on the boat. The old man's stout, fierce spirit seemed to leave him once he reached the anchorage. He had exhausted his reserve strength. He was near the end of his remarkable endurance. The others were ferried to the easy action. Dr. Weber was bedded down. Hot soup was prepared for the aged scientist, and shortly he was sleeping like a baby. A quite wrinkled baby, true, but his sleep was as sound and peaceful as that of a one-year-old. Biff quickly filled his father in on what had happened. He saved until the last the discovery of the Sea Islander. But I think maybe Perez Soto has spotted her too, Biff had to add in conclusion. I think he must have spotted us when Lee was diving. Thomas Brewster turned to Mr. Mayonelli. That must have been why Perez Soto went away, giving us the chance to rescue Dr. Weber. I'm sure it was, the Hawaiian answered. Now what we've got to do is to get back to the Sea Islander before Perez Soto does. We've got to hook onto the sunken boat somehow, then we've got to get into her cabin and locate that metal box with the cesium sample and the map showing where the field is located. Brewster paused. He had to think this thing through clearly now. There could be no mistake, no more risks. They would have to get a professional diver. Hank, where is the nearest town to here, a place where you can hire a professional diver, someone with an aqualung? I imagine Hilo would be the nearest place. How far is that from where we are? Oh, I'd say roughly 75 miles. Any way of getting there aside from walking? Sure, Tom. I would have to walk inland until I reach the Wamalahaya Highway. That's the road which circles the island. I know I could rent a car or taxi at Honupu Landing, not much more than an hour's drive from there into Hilo. Right, what do you say to this? We'll put you ashore right now. You get to Hilo. Hire a skin diver and get back here as early tomorrow morning as you can. We've got to get back to the Sea Islander right away. How far up the coast is she, Biff? An hour, maybe a little more. That's pushing the yawl at full speed. All right, Biff, you row Mr. Mayanelli ashore. Lee and I will make ready. Get back fast. Aye, aye, sir. Biff grinned at his father. It was good to have someone else make the decisions for a change, and when Biff's father went into action, he did so with a snap and precision that commanded respect. It didn't take Biff long to set Mr. Mayonelli ashore. The dinghy was quickly secured once the boy returned, and the easy action headed up coast at full throttle. Think we can find the place in the dark, Biff? his father asked. It would take a bit of doing, Dad, but we set a marking boy over the Sea Islander attached to one of her halyards. Good thing we did, too. We'd never be able to locate a boat on the bottom at night. It took more time than they calculated to locate the marking boy. They had to cruise the area for more than an hour before a shout from Lee told them that they had found it. Now the problem is, Mr. Brewster said, 
How are we going to hook our anchor into the sunken ship? Once we do that, there can be no doubt as to our salvage rights. How about this, Dad? Biff suggested. Let's drop the hook until we can feel her just touch the bottom. Then we can run back and forth over the Sea Islander until we feel the anchor's point sink into her side. Good, excellent suggestion. Biff's father acted at once. He brought the easy action about and aimed her bow directly at the marking boy. They felt the anchor drag as it struck the submerged sloop, but on their first pass the hook didn't catch. Mr. Brewster reversed his course. This time the hook sunk into the side of the Sea Islander and held. Mr. Brewster revved up the engine and the easy action tugged at her sunken sister. That ought to set the anchor in her side, but good, Mr. Brewster said. He cut the engine. Try the winch, Biff. See if you can raise the anchor. I want to make sure we're really caught onto her. Biff did so. He put all his strength in trying to turn the winch. The anchor was set. The easy action and the Sea Islander were joined by a stout, thick hawser. It was late. Everyone, feeling happy about their success, was ready to turn in. Tired, Lee? Biff asked. His answer was a quick nod of his friend's head as Lee headed below for the comfort of his berth. I'm going to sleep on deck again tonight, Dad. Perez Soto's boat is in these waters. I don't think he'll try anything tonight, but you never can tell. All right, Biff, I agree. We can't take any chances with success so near at hand. Biff rolled himself up in a sleeping bag and was asleep the minute he finished zipping it up. Early in the morning, an hour or more before sunrise, he was wide awake. He lay still, staring up at the sky. Stars covered it like a million white dots on a field of navy blue. A quarter moon, looking like an orange section, still hung in the sky. A soft splash attracted Biff's attention. He rose on one elbow and looked in the direction of the noise. It came again. Could be a fish jumping, he told himself. Adjusting his eyes to the night, Biff peered more keenly toward the sound. He raised his glance and his heart started thudding. Lying at anchor not more than a quarter of a mile away was the outline of a powerboat. Biff was sure it was the same one that had tried to swamp the easy action. Biff crept noiselessly to the stern of the yawl. He went below. Reaching his father's berth, he shook him gently. Dad, Dad, he whispered softly. Wake up. I think someone's trying to board the boat. Thomas Brewster was out of the berth in an instant. Lee, hearing the noise, leapt out of his bunk too. Silently, the three crept back to the cockpit. They raised their heads over the gunwale. Listen, Dad, listen carefully. I heard a noise. Sounded like a fish jumping right over there. The three strained their ears. They heard the sound again. Then they saw what was causing it. A man was swimming toward the easy action. They could make out his head moving slowly but steadily along, coming toward the yawl. When the swimmer was some twenty feet from the easy action, the pale light of the moon was reflected by an object the swimmer was holding in his mouth. In the brief instant of the gleam, the object became clear to them all. It was a long knife. End of chapter 20